Blessed is the man who walks not in the way of the sinners, stands in the, pardon me, walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of the sinner or sits in the seat of the mockers. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. There was an email that went out this week talking about a shower for Cashton Arthur Keel Webb on Thursday, April 1st at 7 p.m. Is that the right time and date? April 1st, 7 p.m., a shower here at the building for Cashton Arthur Keel Webb. And so I hope you can plan to be here for that. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we'd ask that this morning you would be with us as we look at Scripture. And Father, I pray especially that you'd bless us as we take seriously the attention, the devotion to Scripture itself that you through your Spirit call us to. Help us, Father, to be focused there this morning and bless my words. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Well, Kevin, things went very well in terms of the Lord's Supper and those thoughts meshing with my own. He talked a little bit about traditions and about how traditions sometimes go by the wayside and it's, it's oftentimes a sad thing when they do. These aren't exactly traditions, but see if you can't remember these kinds of things. Do you remember when men used to stand when a lady entered the room. I don't know that I remember that so much as much as I, uh, as in terms of my own experience, as much as seeing it in movies. I always saw, every time a woman walked into a room in a movie, the men all stood up. The other thing they did was that they were always taking off their hats. A woman would walk into their presence and the men would take their hats off. I remember when men used to walk on the outside of the sidewalk as a sign of respect for the ladies that they were with. Now, it was also said that it was for protection. I thought it was quite a sacrifice so that the car hits the guy first instead of hitting the lady. I remember my father doing that. I can remember walking behind my parents and watching my father maneuver himself around my mother and walking on the outside because he thought that was a show of respect to her. I remember when men used to open doors for women and not get funny looks when they did so. And in fact, I still do that. I remember when men used to take their hats off when they entered someone's home or a church building. Sometimes we don't see that today. I remember when men used to remove their hats when they prayed. I remember when adults used to be referred to or addressed by children or teens as Mr. Smith or Mrs. Jones, if, of course, that was their name. Now, some of that, I think, is actually good. Like, I like the familiarity that goes along oftentimes with calling each other by the first name. For example, I remember one time, not long ago, I was standing in the foyer, and, and Riley Barnard walked by me, and she, she went just like this as she walked by. I was standing there, and as she walked by, she went, Hey, Kelly, what's up? 
And she just kept walking. And I turned to her parents and I said, you know, that's great. It was great in the sense that Riley felt comfortable enough with me to say that to me and to say it in a very familiar way. Now, there are sometimes we say when familiarity breeds contempt. If you're too familiar with someone, if you stretch the limits, that can be a problem. But there are some times when familiarity simply builds relationship. And I think I have relationship built between Riley and myself. Sometimes she calls me the weird one. (laughs) Where is she? That's way too familiar. (laughs) It's not uncommon for teenagers after they get to know me a little bit, to refer to me as not just the weird one, but the bald one. You could probably see that one coming. The teens in Victoria oftentimes called me the bald one, and they still do. I get Facebook messages from people who are now in their 20s, who were little kids when I was in Victoria, who will address it to the bald one. Well, that is not just familiarity. That is, in fact, I think, some kind of display of respect because there's relationship that goes on between us. That wouldn't always be that way. They could be mocking me behind my back. But I think in many ways that can be fruitful and helpful. But we recognize that there are also some things that simply have changed with respect to respect. And there are some things, some ways in which respect is just not shown the way that it used to be. And again, that can be good, that can be bad. It's nice when there is a sense of closeness and relationship so that we don't feel like we always have to be on pins and needles around someone because we're so comfortable with them. But it's also a mistake sometimes when respect goes. And there are some things, I think, which are simply worth respecting. This morning, I want us to think about some of that with reference to the word of God. I want you to turn to Second Kings 22. Second Kings 22. If you're in a pew Bible, page 279. 2 Kings 22. Page 279 in the Pew Bible. Verse 1 says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidiah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Boscath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, I'm not doing badly, to the temple of the Lord. He said, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple. And have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are acting faithfully. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. Now that's a bit remarkable. You'd think... 
You would think that God's people, you'd think that the king who would be serving on the throne of God's people would know where the book of the law was. But it has apparently been lost. Now, scholars tell us that they think the book of the law here refers most directly to the book of Deuteronomy, and it seems to be gone. And now they've discovered it. It's a new thing. The book of Deuteronomy has been found. He gave it to Shephan, who read it. Verse 9, Then Shephan the secretary went to the king and reported to him, Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors of the temple. Then Shephan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. It's a book. And Shephan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahakam, son of Shaphan, Akbor, son of Maacheah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Asiah, the king's attendant, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. They've not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Then look at chapter 23, verse 1. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant of the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations and decrees with all his heart and all his soul thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. The king ordered Hilkiah, the the high priest, the priest next in rank, and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. He did away with the pagan priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and those around Jerusalem, those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and moon, to the constellations, to all the starry hosts. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord isn't that amazing? There's an Asherah pole in the temple of the Lord. Uh, where am I here? From the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley, outside Jerusalem, and burned it there. He ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes, which were in the temple of the Lord, and where women did weaving for Asherah. Like you can see how far Israel has fallen. There are male prostitutes in the temple. There's an Asherah pole in the temple. And Josiah the king and Hilkiah the high priest used the word of the Lord to bring about a religious revolution. Which is striking that it would be such a revolution for God's people. But it was. Now look at Nehemiah chapter 8. This is on page uh, 347 in your pew Bibles. Nehemiah chapter 8. Now what's happened here is that through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, 
the Israelites have returned from captivity, where they've been for some 60, 70 years or so. They went back first in the book of Ezra, and they rebuilt the temple. And then they have occasion to rebuild the city walls. And after they've rebuilt the walls, they've rebuilt the temple, it's time for them to almost reacquaint themselves with all that God wanted to do with the temple and with the city. And it says right at the end of chapter 7, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Look at verse 5. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then drop down to verse 18. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. Then turn to Psalm 1. Page 383. Jim read this earlier. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. These passages amaze me. They amaze me because of what we see is the concern of God's people for his word. Once they understand their sinfulness. Isn't it striking that we've got male prostitutes in the temple, we have Asherah poles in the temple, we have all kinds of idolatry taking place even in God's temple. It's no shock that when that happens, there is no presence of God's word among them. They can't even find it. They don't know where it is. 
They find it on a dusty shelf in some back room of the temple. Hilkiah is looking for something else. He's trying to sort out some things to do with the finances and paying some workers. And he stumbles on the book of the law. Pulls it out, looks at it, look at this, shows it to somebody else and they read it together. We need to show this to the king. And so they take the book of the law to Josiah and it brings about reform. Incredible reform. As they recognize the power of God's word and what it needs to do in their lives as a people. And really, it's no different with Nehemiah. Their making some kind of, of sacramental, holy, holy uh, christening of the wall and of the temple. The people are starting to think about God as they've not for a long time because they've been in captivity and now they're brought back and are going to reconstitute the nation of Israel. And an occasion like that, they stand and hear God's word and read it. Obviously thinking that it is holy and special and it's an occasion of reverence and repentance. And in Psalm 1, there's a pouring out of a heart. On his law, I meditate day and night. And because of that, I'm a tree planted by streams of water. There's at least five things, it seems to me, that these passages teach about God's word and our respect for it. The first is that here is a profound respect for scripture as revelation from God. I'm convinced that one of the reasons that people don't take scripture as seriously as they should is simply because they don't recognize its revelatory value. That the Bible was given to us, that the scriptures is given to us as revelation from God. It's a window into his heart. It's a window into his mind. When we read scripture, we're not just put in touch with laws. We're not put in touch just with, with rules or regulations or even words. More than anything, we become acquainted through scripture with God's heart and with his spirit. Those people then recognize that. That's why it fosters in them worship and praise when the word is read. That's why when the scriptures are read by Ezra at that high pulpit where he stands and reads, the people stand in respect for the word. And for a quarter of the day, or for four hours, half a day, they will stand and listen to the word of God simply being read. Secondly, there's a time given here to the reading of Scripture. For hours, they read it. It's most likely that most of the people were illiterate. This was true in Paul's day as well. People couldn't read. And because they couldn't read, the Word of God had to be read to them. And they're so hungry for God's Word, not being able to read it for themselves, that they will stand and listen for hours to the possibility of hearing from the Lord a word. I 
very grateful, of course, that we can all read. I'm so grateful for Scripture and the translations we have and how readily available Scripture is to us. But there's almost a sense in which because it's right there, so easily at hand, we begin to take it for granted. Kevin, it's just like the Lord's Supper. We take it every week, and because we take it every week, it starts to lose for us its significance. Meeting together as a church family is such a blessing, but we've done it so often, and it's so easy for us that it becomes almost routine. What would it be like if we were in another country where to meet with Christian brothers and sisters may cost you time in prison or your life? What if celebrating the Lord's Supper could mean for you persecution or arrest? We wouldn't take it quite so for granted then. The Word of God is in many ways the same in that we take it for granted because it's right there. The third thing is contact with the Word of God found in Scripture changes and enhances the relationship between these people and God. 2 Kings 22 says that Josiah implements a repentance and change where the law is now the law in the land. True worship takes place. Nehemiah 8.6 says that as they listen to the word of God, they fall on their faces in worship because they hear the law being read and have relationship with God through that law. And the psalmist is so clear. It says he delights in the law of the Lord, which means, of course, that he delights in God and in his presence. And so there's relationship there between scripture and people and therefore between God and and people. The fourth thing is the lives of God's people are constantly changing when contact with the understanding of Scripture takes place. They change. They become different people because of their contact with Scripture and a word from the Lord. Second Timothy 3.16 says that the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Which means that we will be altered or should be altered and changed by our contact with his word. And then the fifth thing I see is that the success of the church's ministry will stand or fall with our contact with scripture. The end of that passage in 2 Timothy in verse 17 says, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so if we're going to do what God wants us to do, we need to be put in contact with Scripture constantly so that we can be thoroughly equipped for the work that God wants us to do. Well, obviously, we're focusing this morning on the importance of Scripture being in the life of every believer. Every Christian needs to take seriously the opportunities that we have to be not just acquainted with the Bible, but to be so full of Scripture that as God's Spirit speaks through it to us, that we drink it in, taking into ourselves His Word and His Spirit and experience the transformation that is ours because God has made this available to us. Again, you know, we so take it for granted the opportunities that we have to be acquainted with, contacted by, touched by, confronted by the Word of God. But we need to not take it 
for granted. On March 12th, just this year, in Isfahan, Iran, Wilson Asabi, who's a Protestant preacher, was jailed for, quote-unquote, trying to convert Muslims through study of the Bible. He was tortured. He was threatened with execution. According to the Farsi Christian Network, Asabi's wife, Medlin Nazanin, recently visited her husband in prison. She said that he was in poor health, that he bore visible signs of torture. He'd been arrested on February 2nd, shortly after he finished a Bible study. He leads up an evangelical church in Isfahan, which is in Iran. It's a 50-year-old church body affiliated with the Assemblies of God. Iranian intelligence officials told his wife that he might be executed for his alleged activities. As of right now, he remains in prison because he was leading a Bible study. On September 18, 2007, the leader of a house church in China, Kai Zuahoa, don't know how to pronounce that name, was released after serving a three-year prison term for print, printing Bibles and religious materials. They reported that he was in good health, was told by government officials when he was released to be silent about his ordeal, wouldn't be able to talk about it, with threat of more persecution. State security officers had seized him in September 2004. They confiscated 200,000 copies of Christian literature, including Bibles, that were printed privately from a storage they got, picked these up in a private storage area. Uh, Kai and his wife were both handed uh, prison terms. His wife was in prison for two years. His brother was pr- in prison for 18 months. You and I don't have to worry about that. I never wake up in the morning and think to myself, maybe somebody's going to arrest me today and confiscate my Bible. But it happens in our world. And we need to relish the opportunities that we have. We need to be thankful to God for the privilege we have of being free to read and drink in and share together teaching from Scripture. And we need to seize the day, the opportunities that are given to us. How many times do the hours or the days pass by for you and you don't give it a second thought? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands today of people who haven't read the Bible privately by themselves in the last week or the last two weeks or three weeks in a month or longer. But I will say that given the blessing that Scripture is in the life of God's people, that for you, if you're not drinking it in and seizing those moments and those opportunities to be put in contact with Scripture. You need to seize those moments. 
couple of weeks ago we did that little survey of personal spirituality. Here were the things that Tom Rainer suggested when it came to Bible study. He said, number one, we need to regularly read and study our Bibles. You can put this up, Keith. You can flip through these if you would, please. The first one, go ahead and click it. There you go. I regularly read and study my Bible. The next one, I believe the Bible is God's word and provides instruction for my life. The next one, I evaluate cultural ideas and lifestyles by biblical standards. The next one, I can answer questions about life and faith from a biblical perspective. Next, I replace impure or inappropriate thoughts with God's truth. Next, when the Bible exposes an area of my life needing change, I respond to make things right. Next, I use the Bible as the guide for the way I think and act. Next, I study the Bible for the purpose of discovering truth for daily living. Next, I draw closer to God by reflecting on Scripture. And lastly, I use biblical teaching as a source for spiritual growth. We've been talking about growth. We've been talking about the need for all of us to move forward in Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I want to grow. James, I don't want to be the same Christian that I am right now, five years from now. I want to be different. I want God to have worked through his spirit to make me a different person. And one of the ways that that's going to happen is I take opportunity. I seize those moments to apply scripture in my life, to drink deeply from it, and to be changed. I don't know what kind of number you put down when you did your survey a couple of weeks ago. But I pray, I hope, that God moves all of us to take seriously his word. To spend time in it. To drink deeply. To be taught by his spirit through scripture. Let's pray. Lord God, I think of those who have gone before me who took scripture so seriously. I think of people in our world today persecuted because they try and teach the Bible or print the Bible or hand the Bible out. I think of those who don't have opportunity, Father, to look at your word and to be taught through it by your spirit. And Father, I pray that you would pierce our hearts. Help us to understand the wonderful opportunities that we have, the privileges we have to be acquainted with Scripture, to have contact with it on a, a daily basis, and help us not to take that privilege for granted. Help us to use every resource and opportunity to open your word and to be changed. Help us to take your word seriously. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing, please.